Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now let's dig in. Let's begin with updates on the case out of Moscow, Idaho, in which Brian Koberger is accused of harming the four University of Idaho students. NBC News is reporting that survivor Bethany Funk, who is believed to be living in Nevada, has filed a motion asking a judge not to enforce a subpoena requiring her to appear and potentially testify at Brian Koberger's preliminary hearing, which is scheduled to take place between June 26th through June 30th. But Idaho Magistrate Judge Megan Marshall wrote on March 24th that Bethany may be a material witness for the case and that she will be required to attend the hearing at the Latah County Courthouse in Moscow, Idaho, beginning on the morning of June 28th. Bethany's attorney in her motion wrote, a preliminary hearing is not meant to become a mini-trial due to its limited purpose in deciding probable cause, end quote. A source said to be close to the families of the victims told News Nation in February that Bethany was not among those who discovered the bodies and that she was the only one living in the lowest level of the house on King Road, and she did not go upstairs after the crime occurred. Bethany is arguing through her lawyer that she should not have to testify at the preliminary hearing nor for the duration of a trial. The subpoena for Bethany was issued on April 11th, and her attorney moved to quash the subpoena 10 days later, claiming that it was improperly issued and that a hearing must be held before Bethany can be required to appear and to testify. The motion Bethany's lawyer filed says, and I quote, there is no authority for an Idaho criminal defendant to summon a Nevada witness to Idaho for a preliminary hearing. There is also no authority for an Idaho criminal defendant to summon a Nevada witness to an Idaho matter without a hearing, end quote. One person weighing in on the subject is Mark Class. He had to testify in a courtroom after his 12-year-old daughter, Polly, was taken from her home and done in in 1993, Class said this about Bethany's situation. I think it's a brutal way to get this young woman to testify. She's had enough. My goodness, that poor lady. Everything that she's gone through and continues to have to go through. This is probably the defining moment of her life in many ways. And they're asking her to come into a hearing room and face, I assume that Hill Koberger will be there, end quote. Note that a hearing date to determine whether 21-year-old Bethany must testify has not yet been set. The only good reason I can think of for Bethany to go would be to support her friend Dylan Mortensen, who no doubt will have to appear. 
By the way, Koberger's attorneys are arguing that Bethany's testimony is necessary because they say she has evidence with the potential to prove Koberger's innocence. Defense attorney Richard Batonti wrote, Miss Funk's information is unique to her experiences and cannot be provided by another witness. Knowing that Bethany was allegedly unaware that the crime had taken place till she woke up on Sunday morning, it's unclear how asking her to attend Koberger's preliminary hearing and to testify in his trial could be helpful to exonerating him. Funk is denying that she has any information that could clear Brian Koberger. The other news in the case is that in a 5-0 decision, the Idaho Supreme Court has rejected the Media Coalition's appeal of the gag order in the case. The Idaho Supreme Court agreed that the Associated Press and other media organizations have standing for wanting the gag order to be lifted, but it's saying that the group should have gone to a lower court, as in the magistrate court that issued the order before appealing to the Supreme Court. Justice Gregory Muller of the Idaho Supreme Court wrote, Petitioners have forgotten that we are the court of last resort in Idaho, not the court of first resort, end quote. Note that this ruling also covers a separate appeal to lift the gag order that was filed by victim Kaylee Gonsalves' family. So now it sounds like the media organizations will have to head down to the magistrate court to refile their appeal of the order. Okay, so that's it for the updates. Now on to what the prosecution in the case against Koberger may lay out as his motive for the crime. I heard former FBI special agent and CIA officer Tracy Walder say on News Nation that the prosecution may argue that suspect Brian Koberger's motive for allegedly committing the crime in Moscow was sex, but not in the sense of wanting to have it with the young females, but rather wanting to demonstrate his absolute male supremacy over them. Take a listen. Well, that's an excellent question. And I think really what that points to, you know, really is motive. There's a gag order surrounding this case. And so we don't have a lot of information. But I think, you know, the public's interested and the public wants to understand how something like this happened. And I think something like that, and it's really been consistent across the board, going all the way back into high school, um, his sort of subpar harassment and treatment of women really kind of points to his motive, really a very common motive in this type of multiple victim homicide is sex. And so it's not necessarily that he may have wanted sex, but something that he really was looking for was male supremacy. Um, and so that gets conflated with the idea of, of an incel. And that could be something that we're looking at here, but I'm not I'm not 100 percent certain. Walder went on to say that as we learn more about Koberger, it appears that he could be an incel or involuntary celibate, although Walder is holding out on that judgment because she stated most incels do not have a dating history, and we know Koberger has been on some dates. You may recall that we heard from a young woman who described a strange Tinder date she had with him in Pennsylvania years ago. 
but I'm wondering if a guy like this can be evaluated on an incel spectrum. Perhaps some guys fit the incel profile 100%, as in Elliot Roger, the incel's mascot, if you will, who ticks all the boxes, heterosexual male, unable to land a romantic partner, or anyone interested in dating them or having a physical relationship with them, covets pretty young females who show zero interest in him, blames the females for this failure, and develops deep hatred toward these females, so much so that he fantasizes about harming them and sometimes acts out on those fantasies, communicates with other incels, in what has been dubbed the manosphere, an umbrella term referring to interconnected online misogynistic communities. On online incel boards, he spends his time complaining about females and sharing his violent fantasies of how exactly he would like to inflict pain on them. Often those fantasies involve essay and sometimes death. Koberger may have had some dates, but it doesn't appear that he's had any lasting relationships. And if alleged reports of his harassing treatment of female staff and patrons at that brewery in Pennsylvania, as well as at Washington State University, where he made disparaging comments about women and graded his female students more harshly than the guy students are true, it seems like Koberger definitely fits the incel profile to some degree. Maybe not 100%, but he falls on the incel spectrum, in my opinion. I think it would make sense if the prosecution says that Koberger's motive for the crime in Moscow was not a desire to have physical intimacy with any of the young females at 1122 King Road, but rather a desire to have absolute male supremacy over one or more of them. I say this because, one, we know the perpetrator of the crime did not essay any of the female victims. He wasn't there for that. He was in that house with that sharp object to inflict massive physical injuries, although he may have seen the sharp object as a symbol of his masculinity. Two, he picked a day and a time when his victims were not going to be able to fully fight back. Some may have been intoxicated, some sleeping, all unarmed and all caught unaware by this stranger, and thus unable to match him in battle. He may think he was exerting absolute male supremacy, but I would argue it was never a fair fight. He had all the advantages, and you can't claim victory if you rigged the fight. I stumbled on a fascinating article in The New Yorker by writer Jaya Tolentino called The Rage of the Incels. In the article, Tolentino said that incels view sex as dominion over female bodies. She went on to say that if incels were simply after physical intimacy, they could pay ladies of the night who sell that kind of thing, and they would then value those ladies. But incels, being the violent misogynists that they are, often express extreme disgust 
at women who sell their wares in this manner. Tolentino then described sex in America as becoming a hyper-efficient and deregulated marketplace, a marketplace that makes people feel very bad. Tolentino was talking about how young people go about dating and meeting partners. She cited the dating apps Tinder and Grindr, which are built to match people by their looks above all else. She also wrote that male worth is often measured by how good-looking a woman he can acquire. This may explain why Brian Koberger seemed to always be shooting for young females that most people would say were very attractive, females who didn't appear to find him equally attractive. Tolentino then brought up what she calls a person's sexual value. Sexual value basically translates to how marketable a person is in the dating scene. Someone who is considered by most people to be highly attractive would have a high sexual value and thus would likely have no trouble landing dates and, well, scoring, as they say. Someone who isn't widely considered physically attractive would have a lower sexual value. It seems clear that all the young women living at 1122 King Road had off-the-chart sexual value by most Americans' standards. Brian Koberger, despite garnering a following of female groupies now that he's behind bars, seems to have had very little sexual value, at least with the pretty blonde females that he coveted. Tolentino also wrote this, sexual value continues to accrue to abled over disabled, cis over trans, thin over fat, tall over short, white over non-white, rich over poor, end quote. By the way, if you don't know what cis means, C-I-S, it's short for the term cisgender, which means whichever gender you are known as is the same as what was presumed for you at birth. New word for me, maybe for you too. I think what Tolentino wrote there is sadly true. American society in general seems to consider people who are able-bodied, cisgender, tall, thin, white, young, and rich more attractive and more worthy of dating. Tolentino went on to write, It's a horrible thing to feel unwanted, invisible, inadequate, ineligible for the things that any person might hope for, end quote. And I completely agree with her. And I do think this is what Koberger began to feel over time as he found himself continually rejected by the attractive females he pursued. Maybe he should have gone for other females that weren't quite so high on the sexual value chart. For anyone who's ever felt dumped on the island of broken toys, you know how crushing that is. To know that you have value, but to find yourself rejected for some detail 
that you maybe can't change about yourself, a disability, a skin color, whatever, but being rejected is always painful, and for many who keep running up against it, it can lead to hopelessness. I think this may be what happened to Brian Koberger, and by the way, that's no excuse for what he's accused of. He started out thinking that the pretty cheerleader should dig him as much as he dug her, and he was probably surprised when she flat out rejected him. That rejection was her saying that he didn't score high on sexual value, that he was inadequate in some way to her. But instead of crawling in a corner and whimpering, Koberger went on a diet and started working out. It seems like he may have thought that his low sexual value was entirely tied to his weight, but after burning off a hundred pounds, he still got rejected. At that point, maybe he stopped trying to fix himself and he began to blame the females who rejected him for making him feel undesirable, that they are the ones with the problem, not him. Tolentino wrote, women are socialized from childhood to blame themselves if they feel undesirable, to believe that they will be unacceptable unless they spend time and money and mental effort being pretty and amenable and appealing to men, end quote. Of men, Tolentino wrote this, men, like women, blame women if they feel undesirable. So men don't blame themselves if they feel undesirable the way women do. They blame women for this. Very interesting. Tolentino goes on to say, in the past few years, a subset of straight men calling themselves incels have constructed a violent political ideology around the injustice of young, beautiful women refusing to have sex with them. These men often subscribe to notions of white supremacy. They are, by their own judgment, mostly unattractive and socially inept. They frequently call themselves subhuman. They're also diabolically misogynistic, end quote. I think when Koberger referred to himself on the visual snow syndrome message board as an organic sack of meat with no self-worth, he was pretty much saying he felt subhuman. And I have to believe that the incels' notions of white supremacy are tied to their search for absolute male supremacy. All this to say that I believe Brian Koberger is an incel, even if he has a small... What did you think I was going to say? A small what? Oh my gosh. A small dating history. That's all I meant, small dating history. And I also think that if he is found guilty of this crime, then his number one motive for it was likely to experience and demonstrate what he perceived to be his absolute male supremacy over the females who he blamed for making him feel inadequate. If his self-worth was measured 
by how good-looking a female he could acquire as a girlfriend than by being refused a relationship by all those pretty young blondes he coveted, his self-worth must have been in the toilet. Sadly, I think Koberger only felt better about himself after he allegedly took the lives of those females. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe, leave me a comment. If you like my work, go and check out some of my earlier videos. I did an amazing series on the Gregory Villeman case out of France. I'd love for you guys to watch it. See you next time.